Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion. And welcome to Unscripted. Today, Indonesia tries to build bridges between small and big powers in the Security Council during its presidency in August, remotely and in person. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. This episode begins in the suburbs of Jakarta, the capital of Indonesia. That's where Mok Faisal Karim is located. He's an assistant professor in international relations at Bina Nusantara University, or BINES, a private university. He's also worked for the Indonesian Foreign Ministry, but under a different administration. We spoke with him in late July, as COVID-19 cases have been spiking in this vast country of 267 million people, with over 108,000 confirmed cases so far. Indonesia is hit very bad with COVID-19, our economy contracting. There is a study stated that it could make two or three percent of Indonesian economic growth uh, to be contracting. And then, I mean, compared with our neighbors in ASEAN, Indonesia is one of the worst hit, the most one, I think. We have already passed 100,000 cases with a thousand deaths already, and it's the official one. Many studies said the unofficial one where we take into account those who are dying, but without any symptoms of COVID, it could be a triple of that. A recent UN report on the effect of COVID-19 in Southeast Asia revealed that Indonesia is one of the worst-hit countries in the region, and its health expenditure is too low to fight it appropriately. Back in New York City, before talking about Indonesia's agenda as rotating president of the council in August, we asked Ambassador Dian Trantian Gianni, Indonesia's permanent representative to the UN, about the situation in Indonesia and what the government is doing. Just like uh, other countries, we are also trying to address this issue in, in many ways. As you know, for countries with the fourth largest population in the world, it's not easy just like here in the United States as well as in other places. But we have created a ministerial high-level task force to address this since the start of the COVID. And we have increased the testing capacity, laboratory. We have more than 755 referral hospitals, hundreds of thousands of beds. But once again, uh, it's not easy simply because um, the number of population is quite large also. And Indonesia is a very open country. But one thing for sure is that we are doing our best uh, in many ways, not only in terms of domestic, in terms of uh, the multilateral also, as you know. Uh, we are the first country with five other countries that have been pushing for this COVID uh, resolution in the United Nations since March, which is resolution 74-270, which is quite hard, uh, not quite easy because the system uh, we have to negotiate through VTC and through other means. As well as we are working uh, with many countries in trying to do the research, ensuring that there are availabilities of vaccine and there are, of course, affordable, accessible medicine for not only COVID-19, but as well as others. So infrastructure is there, but as you know, we are a country that are quite large. We have 17,800 something islands. So you cannot imagine how large it is. It's as large as the U.S. mainland, if you put Indonesia in the map putting in the map of the United States. So that's how large we are. 
The ambassador said it. Indonesia has the fourth largest population in the world, and it also has the largest Muslim population globally. As a regional power, Indonesia is working to position itself as a global bridge builder through its seat on the Security Council. Its current term on the council is its second in 11 years, and that's an achievement that hasn't gone unnoticed in Indonesia, Karim says. Indonesia is always being proud to be part of the uh, international decision-making process, especially in the UN. Our constitutions even stated in a written form that we as an Indonesians need to be part of the international order. In this case, uh, it actually refers to the UN bodies uh, and the UN systems. And if you look at the last membership of Indonesia in the UN Security Council, which is almost 10 years ago, there is a kind of a differences in the way how the domestic uh, politics and also the way how the presidency or the government of Indonesia framed Indonesia's involvement in the UN Security Council. Ten years ago, Indonesia tried to voice three roles at the same time. First, it tried to voicing the role of voice of developing countries, which is inherently part of our collective memories and collective identity. And secondly, it to some extent tried to voicing its hesitance, so to speak, toward the Western. So if you look at 10 years ago, uh, many of Indonesian, Indonesia's standpoint, to some extent, tried to show to the Western countries, especially in the U.S., that Indonesia is kind of uh, independent when it comes to voicing their concern. This can be seen in how Indonesia abstained toward UN Security Councils on giving more sanction to Iran. Not because Indonesia has a special relationship with Iran. I mean, uh, that is the case for Palestine, but not with Iran. But somehow, uh, 10 years ago, Indonesia seems to be more inclined to, to some extent, support Iranian cause. But the Security Council of 2007 and 2008 is not the same as 2020. And Karim says this time around, Indonesia is simply focused on fostering cooperation among the 15 council members. Here's Ambassador Diani on this. One thing that I would, uh, for my own personal experience, you need to have a lot of patience. You need to have lots of tolerance. You need to be able to network. And all of this is in the DNA of every Indonesian. Uh, we have been taught uh, to be very patient in many ways. Our way of diplomacy has always been quite diplomacy. We are not uh, into megaphone diplomacy. But our diplomacy is geared toward finding solutions to our uh, problems. And that is one thing that we have to focus when you are in the council. To always remember that you are not only representing your country, but as elected members, you are representing 193 members of the United Nations. In our case, when we came into the council, we were the one that had to compete to become member of the council. So I told all of my colleagues in the Asia-Pacific region, although we come from uh, the Asia-Pacific region, but we are representing 193 countries. And not only that, we are representing also the peoples of the world. And we should not lose sight of that fact. But Karim says despite its global vision, in recent years, Indonesia has been forced to pick a side. Currently, it's not the way how it is. Indonesia's more swift toward China. 
because economically and then you know when it comes to investment china has more leverage toward indonesia and that need to be maintained while at the same time with the rise of trump in fact trump wanted to delete indonesia from the list of recipient of gsp generalized system of reference so it's part of the deal of the us with many developing countries given the fact that according to us indonesia has become upper middle income country so it makes indonesia shift away to china so i think indonesia strategy if you ask me how to cope with this uncertainty basically by showing that indonesia seems to be pick a side and then fortunately or unfortunately indonesia seems to pick china which is based on economic calculations and domestic calculation it's a good thing to do right it's different with 10 years ago where indonesia has more doctrine called zero enemy million friends but there's one cause that indonesia is not afraid to defend out loud palestine on the council over the past year and a half indonesia made it a mission to defend palestinian interests and as indonesia will leave the council at the end of december and india is taking its seat it's unclear whether palestine will get the support it needs from the council India has a tricky relationship with its own Muslim population at home. The Indonesian president Joko Widodo spoke recently with the leader of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, about Indonesia's upcoming presidency and how Indonesia intends to keep defending Palestine in the council. Here's Ambassador Dajani. This issue of Palestine is an important issue simply because it's uh, the issue of the two-state solution is an issue of implementing all the various uh, security council as well as the united nation resolution so i think it's an important for us to continue the discussion continue to ensure that there is no annexation of the territory of the palestine so we want to make sure that all of the various commitment various resolution is duly implemented and precisely the point that we also have a scheduled meeting also a monthly meeting uh, on this particular issues in our presidency So we will continue to discuss this we will continue to ensure that uh, there is no effort or action being undertaken that will be in contrary to the various resolution of the United Nations and the Security Council Other issues on Indonesia's agenda include the nexus of transnational organized crime and terrorism, the challenges the pandemic poses in sustaining peace, and some important mandate renewals, such as the United Nations mission in Lebanon and its joint mission in Somalia, and also the sanctions regime in Mali. Here's Ambassador Diani on how the pandemic has impacted his program of work. We have two signature events, which is on impact of COVID-19 on peace building and sustaining peace, and the other one, as I mentioned, also on the addressing the linkages between terrorism and organized crime. So the idea is, of course, to build on that and find gaps or issues that has not been discussed as yet, or there is no resolution as yet. We're working with many on how to ensure that on the issue of, for example, on women peacekeepers. So you know, we we are the number one. contributor TCC PCC of peace keepers in the security council now we have been contributing to peace missions since 1957 with around more than 40,000 of indonesian young boys and girls and putting them in harm's way we lost a peacekeeper we have never lost a peacekeeper 
on an attack. We lost uh, one just last month. Uh, it's quite a sad day for me. And I had to write a letter to the parents. And it's not an easy part. So we want to make sure also that when the council decided to enhance the number of women peacekeepers, we have to make sure that we take into account also everything that are related to the women peacekeepers, not only their safety and well-being, but also what they could contribute. Um, we do believe that women peacekeepers play an important role in many conflict areas because they are able to communicate with victims, uh, women that has been through sexual abuse, for instance. So this is one thing that we want to work uh, concretely. Hopefully, we could get the consensus of all the members because I think everybody shares the views that peacekeepers have been one of the symbols of the United Nations on the ground that has been successful in many ways. So we want to make sure that this is an issue that is taken care of in the council during our presidency. And then there's also the ongoing uncertainty about Iran. The United States has circulated a draft resolution to extend the arms embargo on Iran, which is set to expire in October when Russia will hold the council presidency. Even though the U.S. withdrew from the Iran nuclear deal, it still says it's a participant. Ambassador Dejani says he hasn't received an official request from the U.S. to discuss the resolution yet or put it to a vote. The arms embargo on Iran was debated in the council in June under the French presidency, and it was clear then that Russia and China, two of the remaining parties to the Iran deal, would veto the U.S. resolution. And there's also the question of in-person meetings. Indonesia says it will try to find the right balance between in-person and online meetings. The Security Council is trying out a new video teleconference software that will allow for live, simultaneous translations. That will for sure please the non-native English speakers on the Council. Although France has just ignored the translation problems and often speaks French. And Germany was able to hold two meetings in person at the UN last month, certainly pleasing the Russians who have been pushing for the return of in-person meetings for a few months now. Indonesia's strategy is to be efficient. It takes much longer to adopt resolutions online than in person, so they'll prioritize in-person meetings for voting. That way, diplomats will spend as little time at UN headquarters as possible. Here's Ambassador Dejani on this. We will hear what the membership would uh, wish us. Of course, we have to balance everything. We have to balance also the situation in New York. We have to balance also the assessment from the Secretariat. But once again, regardless of whether you have a meeting in person or through BTC, we have been doing what people might not expect, that the Council has been doing excellently in trying to address many of the issues. So what is most important is the outcome. And of course, we also would like to step-by-step uh, step continue to build on what Germany is doing. Uh, of course, looking at the situation, hopefully the situation uh, becoming more and more improving in New York so that uh, we could be able to have more uh, meeting in person. But once again, we have to balance between the, the health situation, the security situation, as well as the the efficiencies of the work of the council itself. These remaining months in its two-year term will also likely be Ambassador Diani's last ones in New York City. As per Indonesia's diplomatic tradition, he'll return to Jakarta shortly after. Here's what Karim, an observer, had to say about the ambassador's performance on the council. 
I think he's the best man that Indonesia has so far when it comes to representing us in an international level. He is the one who, with his diplomatic skills, he's the one who finally makes sure the other ASEAN members to create what we call as ASEAN Intergovernmental Commission on Human Rights. I mean, when we discuss about human rights in ASEAN, many people really don't want to talk about it. Actually, even Indonesian, but somehow under his leadership 10 years ago, 2008, 2009, he can actually make ASEAN agree, ASEAN members, which is a very diverse from Myanmar all the way to Thailand, to agree on creating ASEAN Intergovernmental Human Rights Commission. I think Indonesia is really proud of our diplomatic skills or our effort to make this ASEAN Intergovernmental Commission on Human Rights uh, feasible. So Ambassador Jani, I think, can represent, and then he has more experience than any other Diplomat, even uh, Ibu, even the Madam Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, when it comes to seniority and, and experience in uh, international high-profile forums. So I think he's the best pick that Indonesia can, can provide. More experienced than the foreign minister herself. That's quite a compliment. That's it for our show. Thank you to Ambassador Dejani and Mok Faisal Karim of Bina Nusantara University for their time. This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela, and Stephanie Fignon for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulce Leimbach is our editor, and Allison Lecce is our intern. AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Pass Blue is covering the important news from women's rights to human rights to the Trump effect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to passblue.com. Pass Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Pass Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends.